Well, do pull out your message outline. We're in this series of messages called Living by Faith. And uh, what we're doing, hopefully, as you know by now, we're looking at the life and the faith of Moses. And uh, the great thing about the Bible, there's many wonderful things about the Bible, but the Bible is full of people in many ways just like us. And these are the people that kind of God got hold of and they became all that they could be through God at work in their life. And one of the ways in which we can learn in life generally is to look at the lives of other people. That's why the Bible is full of different people who we can learn from. We can learn from their successes, but we can also learn from their mistakes as well. And the life and faith of Moses teaches us some really important principles to live by. Moses, I would argue, is one of the greatest men of faith in the whole of the Old Testament. Now, before I go on, I do just want to answer a question that a number of you have been asking me over the last couple of weeks about the image of Moses that we're using for this sermon series um, and why it seems like Moses has got horns. Now, I'm sure you know this, but let me just do this. It's actually Michelangelo's statue of Moses, uh, which was sculpted, sculpted in 1513 to 1515, and it's found at the church of San Pietro in Rome. Now, I'm sure you're very familiar with this because you're very cultured people, but um, basically, it's one of the most famous statues in the world. And the horns that Michelangelo included on Moses' head are the result of a translation of the Hebrew Bible uh, into what is called back then the Latin Vulgate Bible. And uh, the Hebrew word taken from Exodus means either a horn or a radiation. And it refers to the time when Moses returned to the people after seeing as much of the glory of the Lord as the human eye could stand. And his face, the Bible tells us, reflected that glory, reflected that radiance. And in early Jewish art, Moses is often shown with rays coming out of his head. And so what Michelangelo is trying to do here in his statue is trying to get this idea over to us of these horns or this radiance of God's glory. So now you know. That's a little bit of culture for you in the morning from an Essex man. You don't get that very often. So uh, if you want to find out more, Wikipedia or Google it. That's what I did. Um, And you're also wondering why we're doing that. Uh, it's because we use, we subscribe to uh, images and this was the only one of Moses that we could find. So that's the other reason. And by the way, I hope this isn't the only thing that you learned this morning. If you go home and go, oh yeah, we learned about Moses and Michelangelo and all that kind of stuff, I've wasted my time. But now you know. Now you know what it's all about. Now this morning, what I want to do is I want to talk about something that I think we have all in common and it is this. It is the health of our spiritual life. And the one thing, the one thing that we all have responsibility for is the healthy condition of the inner life of our soul. It is the one thing, it is the one thing we will have to be accountable for at the end of our life when we will all stand before the Lord. We will have to answer to what we have done with our spiritual life and journey. The one thing we all have in common is that every single one of us is going to face the challenge of having to maintain a healthy spiritual life. And the challenge then is to make choices that enable that to happen. So the question for us today is this, what are the choices that we need to be making on a regular basis, on a daily basis, that will help us have a healthy spiritual life? 
And one of the places that I think the Bible answers that question and helps us to understand that, I think comes out of Exodus 4. And because that is exactly what God is helping Moses to do before he sends him back into Egypt, before he sends him back into this huge task that he has for him. What God is saying, he is saying to him, before I send you, before I send you back into the kind of the the fight, as it were, before I send you back, I'm going to give you some choices that you need to make. Choices that will help you in your spiritual health. Now, last week we looked at some of Exodus 4, but there is more that I want to show you from this passage. See, one of the challenges for me as a preacher, for any preacher actually, is that sometimes you have so much to say and not enough time in the message to say it. So I want to circle back round. I want to dig back into Exodus 4. Now let me me remind you of the background. Moses, remember, was an insider. He grew up in Egypt. He grew up in the most political place. He was highly connected. He He was around a lot of wealthy people all of the time. I mean, ultimately, he was royalty himself. But one day, he had this moment of clarity. He walks out the palace and he sees an Egyptian who was beaten and an Israelite. And so Moses, well Moses totally loses it and he snaps and he fights this Egyptian and actually he kills him. He murders him, he buries him in the sand and Moses then runs off to Midian to hide out. And so what Moses does is he spends the next 40 years of his life in Midian. And while he's there he gets married, he has some kids, he becomes a shepherd and, and he basically carves out a life for himself, thinking, well, well, maybe I can outlive my mistake. Maybe nobody will look for me here. And kind of he settled into sort of easy street. That was his life. But God knew where he was. And as we saw last week, God comes to Moses at the burning bush in Exodus 3, and he says, Moses, now is your time. I'm going to send you back to Egypt, and you're going to say to Pharaoh, let my people go. And Moses begins to panic, and he begins to say to God, but but what if I can't do that? What if I sign on to this and and I let you down? What if I blow it? What if I go and nobody believes me, nobody listens to me? And here's the reality. Here's what we have in common with Moses. The opportunity to live for God is always mixed with excitement and fear. Those two things always seem to be interlocked when it comes to living for Christ and having a spiritual journey and an encounter with him. There's always this great excitement because of what that hope brings, what it means to be used by God and to serve God and to be in that relationship with him. There's all that excitement. But it's also always mixed with fear because we think, well, what if I'm not religious enough? What if I can't keep the rules, whatever those rules we think they might be? See, maybe some of you have been on the brink of giving your life to Christ, where in the back of your mind you think to yourself, maybe I just can't do it. Maybe I won't be able to hold up my end of the deal. Some of you, you walked into this room as a believer, already knowing that Christ is real to you, but he's given you some opportunities for you to serve or to be part of this this community of faith, or to do something to serve him, or to join a small group in some capacity, and you think, I I, I would, but I'd make a mess out of it. What if I blow it? See, the opportunity to live for God is always mixed with excitement and fear. 
Now, the good news is this. The good news is that God is not shocked by our fears of living for him or for serving him. So you read Exodus 4 and you don't see God panicking. You don't see God going, uh, you don't think you can do it then, Moses? Okay, yeah, I'll guess I'll move on and find somebody else. It's not there, is it? Instead, what God does in Exodus 4 is that he gives Moses three choices to make. He says, look, if you make these three choices on a daily basis, you will begin to do whatever I place in front of you to do. And here's why this is important. It's out of the life of the Spirit of God living within us that we make choices for the rest of our lives. The the healthy condition of the inner soul, the inner life of our soul, affects everything that we do. Everything we do in life is affected by the inner health of our soul. And so God is saying, you don't have to know, Moses, how to figure out everything you're going to encounter. But as you go, if you make these three decisions in your own personal life on a daily basis, you'll be able to do whatever is placed in front of you. Because it's out of the life of the Spirit that we make decisions about the rest of our lives. So the question we have to ask then are, well, what are these choices? What are the choices that you and I need to be making personally on a daily basis so that we have and maintain a healthy spiritual life? Now, there are three of them that come out of Exodus 4. And each of these choices comes in the form of an object lesson. Later on, these lessons actually will be used against Pharaoh as types of judgment. So so literally, these things are going to come against Pharaoh. But in Exodus 4, they have a personal application to Moses. And God is helping Moses make a choice to maintain a healthy spiritual life. Now remember last week, we saw that Moses asked four questions of God. The first question he asked was, who am I? This was his question of confidence. He wasn't confident. Moses didn't feel qualified to answer the call of God on his life. The second question Moses asked was, well, who are you? And that was the question of doubt. He wasn't sure that God was going to come through for him. The third question of Moses was, well, what about them? And this was the question of rejection. He was worried that the people of Israel would just laugh him out of the camp when he went to tell them that he was going to tell Pharaoh to let them go. And the final question he asked God was, well, how about this? And he talked about the question of ability. Moses didn't feel he had the ability to do what God had asked him to do. And every one of those questions, God answered and kind of cleared up the issues. Because you see, each time Moses asked a question, God gave him an answer. He wanted Moses to trust him and to do what God knew he could do and had in fact called him to do. But God was also doing something else here. He was preparing Moses' heart and soul. God is helping Moses make choices that would not only maintain him throughout all of the challenges that he was going to face as he led the children of Israel out of captivity and all the things that was going to come. It wasn't just that he was doing, but he was also helping him to make choices that would help him to maintain a healthy spiritual life because God knows that is absolutely crucial. And there are choices that you and I need to be making each day personally so that we build this healthy spiritual life. So what are they? 
Let me show you. Choice number one for a healthy spiritual life is this. Give everything to God. That's where it has to start. That is the first choice that you and I have to make, that we would give everything to God. Look, we pick things up in Exodus 4, verses 1 through 3. Moses answered, What if they do not believe me or listen to me and say, The Lord did not appear to you? Then the Lord said to him, What is that in your hand? A staff, he replied. The Lord said, Throw it on the ground. Moses threw it on the ground and it became a snake and he ran from it. And really, you would, wouldn't you? I mean, if you drop anything on the ground and it turns into a snake, where are you going to be? For me, I'm going to be in another room, a locked room, way, way away from that kind of snake slithering around, aren't you? Unless you're a young person. If you're a young person, you're going to get a short stick and poke it, aren't you? Because that's the thing you do at that age. But you're going to run, aren't you? Verse 4. Then the Lord said to him, reach out your hand and take it by the tail. And you can imagine Moses going, you, what? Do what? So Moses reached out and took hold of the snake and it turned back into a staff in his hand. He finally grasped it by the tail and you know what happens? It turns back into a staff. Now, Moses was a shepherd. He made his living with that staff. That wasn't a fashion accessories for Moses. There wasn't some stick that he found on the side of the road that kind of held it up and said, look, this goes with the toga, it goes with my outfit. I, I need to have this. So when they do the Old Testament oil paints of me, I look really, kind of look really stately when I have it. It wasn't that at all. It was with that staff he fought off foxes and he saved stray sheep. It was with that staff that he provided food and shelter for his family. That wasn't just some stick. Wrapped up in that staff was the success of the life of Moses. And for anybody, God included, to say to a shepherd, throw your staff down on the ground, was a big deal. Because he wasn't just tossing some random stick on the ground. In fact, in that action, what he was doing symbolically, Moses was laying before the Lord his house, his kids, his wife, his job, his income. All the successes of his life was wrapped up in that staff. For him to let go of it, he was literally letting go of everything that defined his life. Now, why is that important? For God to use something, he must own it first. It's through that staff that Moses is going to walk into Pharaoh's court and issue those plagues against Pharaoh. It's through that staff that the Red Sea is going to be parted. But for that to happen, God had to own the man and all that his life contained. It's through the life of Moses that that, and that staff that the purpose of God is going to be accomplished. You see, for God to use something, he must first own it. See, that is why every time you come to worship service, I will talk about knowing Christ at a personal level and having a real living relationship with him. Because it's about ownership, you see. You see, becoming a believer is not, not about what you, you look like or whether you change your behaviour straight away. Becoming a believer is about signing over the ownership of your life to Christ. 
It's about signing over the title deed in which we say, God, I take everything that defines my life as a person, as a family member, and I sign everything over to you. I make you the owner. I make you the leader and the boss of my life. You have everything. I give you everything. And when we open our lives to Christ, the purpose of God then becomes the centre. And everything that defines our life, God is going to use to bring about his purposes. So, our job is not just for ourselves. Our family is not just for us. Our money is not just for us. Our talents, our ability, our opportunities are not just for us. It is for the purposes of God. And if we're not careful, it is really easy to lose sight of that and to think that life is all about me. Life is all about what I want, what I deserve. And Moses, he had to learn that God had, what God had placed in his hand was not in fact his. It was God's. And it was through that stuff, his family, his job, his money, God was going to use all of that and he's going to take all of that to Egypt to deliver Israel. Your whole life is about the purposes of God being done on this earth. But if we're not careful... It's very easy to lose sight of that. The church, the true biblical church, is the only institution that's teaching the truth that our life is not our own. And that is countercultural. We are living in a country where every generation is being taught this idea that whatever we have in life, it's our right to do whatever we want to do with it. My body, my rights. My money, my right. My weekend, my right. My house, my right. My car, my right. It's my stuff, my rights. And if we're not careful, as believers, we can lose sight of the fact that the moment we sign the title deed of our life over to Christ, And we willingly do that because we know what Christ has done through his sacrificial death upon the cross as he rescued us, as he saved us. But we can lose sight of the fact that the moment we sign the title deed of our life over to Christ and we gave him our life, at that moment we gave up our rights. You see, as believers, we no longer have rights, we have responsibilities. One of our responsibilities is for maintaining our spiritual health. The health of our soul to handle what God has given us with care. To remember that our lives are not our own, they were bought at a price. And that God uses everything in our life that he uses in our life, that contains in our life, he uses it to fulfil his purposes. So that's where it has to start, first of all. Spiritual choice number one, we have to recognise we have to give everything over to God. Choice number two for a healthy spiritual life, hate private contamination. 
First of all, we give everything over to God. But kind of when we've done those sorts of things, or ongoingly do these sorts of things, remember this is a daily thing. Sometimes there's things in our lives that we want to hold on to, and there's the battle to fully give that over to God. But there's another battle that comes our way, that, that if we want to have a healthy spiritual life, we need to hate private contamination. Because you see, God has a second object lesson for Moses. Look at verse 6. Then the Lord said, put your hand inside your cloak or over your heart, it can be translated. So Moses put his hand into his cloak and when he took it out, it was leprous like snow. So here's what's going on here. God and Moses are speaking. God says to Moses to take his hand to kind of stick it in over his heart inside his little toga. So he puts his hand inside of his toga and he pulls it out and it's covered with leprosy. Now, you know, at this point, Moses has got to be freaking out at this point, hasn't he? I mean, you would, wouldn't you? I mean, this is, this is terrible. I mean, if all you've had is acne, then this, you know, this is, I mean, this is this not even a close second, really. Leprosy was nasty. It was incurable. It was contagious. It spread as it killed. And I'm sure Moses is going, how, Lord, is this going to help me deliver Israel? Do I, do I walk into Pharaoh's court and kind of fling my hand at him and then run away? How, how does this work, Lord? Well, look at the next verse. God says, now put it back into your cloak, he said. So Moses put his hand back into his cloak, and when he took it out, it was restored like the rest of his flesh. He puts it back, pulls it back out again, and it's whole again. Now, what in the world does this have to do with you and I today? See, leprosy was contagious. And the nature of leprosy is that it would eat through the flesh, it would eat through the muscles, eat through the bone, and it would kill parts of the body. And as it would kill, it would spread. And as it would spread, it would continue to kill more parts of the body. And, you know, spiritual contamination is just like that. The nature of compromise is just like that. Unforgiveness towards one person, if you don't deal with it, becomes unforgiveness towards a whole load of other people. Bitterness, cynicism, a critical spirit in one area of life becomes your way of looking at the whole world. That's the nature, you see, of spiritual leprosy. It spreads in our soul. And as it spreads, it kills So what is God saying to Moses through this? Hate private contamination. God was saying, Moses, don't just know there's something in your heart that you need to deal with, but hate it enough to actually do something about it. The whole hand over the heart thing, let me tell you what that means. The hand represents the call of Moses, and God had called him to go back to Egypt and free Israel from the grip of the evil Pharaoh. So when he put his hand over his heart, that represented his inner life. This is God's way of saying, if there's any corruption in your spiritual life, it will spread its way into what you do. You cannot separate who you are from what you do. They go together. And if we harbour things inside of us that are unhealthy, eventually they will leak their way into our relationships or into our work or into our money. In fact, even into our serving in a ministry. 
That, you see, is the nature of spiritual contamination. And this is why when David writes Psalm 24, he writes this in verses 3 to 4. He says, Who may ascend the hill of the Lord? Who may stand in his holy place? He who has clean hands and a pure heart. God puts a high price on the purity of our spiritual life. And in the book of James, in the New Testament, James says to his readers in James 4 verse 8, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Notice, cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. God puts a high price on what we carry. And many of us, whether we admit it or not, we are carrying things in our soul that if we don't deal with it, they are going to sabotage everything that is good about our life. And so he's saying, as we live our life, one of the choices we've got to make is to hate that stuff, to hate that spiritual contamination enough to actually do something about it. So let's talk about the urgency and the intensity of hating something. See, it's interesting to me how we all get wound up by our pet peeves, don't we? Got a few pet peeves, maybe? Maybe they popped into your mind straight away. You know the kind of thing? Every one of us has something that just gets up our nose, that really annoys us. Some of you, for example, are neat freaks. And if things are not put away, and if things are not left tidy, well, watch out if you're around in their atmosphere. How many of you have, have kind of driving pet peeves, you know? For example, people who drive with their indicator light on for 40 miles with no apparent reason. You follow someone like that? Or how about mystery turners? People who don't put their indicator light on and then all of a sudden they just turn. Now, okay, I do understand. I appreciate that that is describing BMW drivers. I understand that. <laughs> But apparently BMWs don't come with indicators, so it ain't our fault. But, but we all have these pet peeves, don't we? Every one of us who've got these pet peeves, some of those are eating pet peeves or driving pet peeves or mobile phone pet peeves. Now here's what's crazy about us human beings. We are so passionate about things that don't often matter. We all get things that wind us up, don't we? But isn't it crazy that for most of us, the nature of our pet peeves, it gets on our nerves so much that we see to it that it never happens in our presence. Don't make that sound at the table. I hate when slow people drive in the fast lane. I'm going to get around that person. Uh, don't let this place be a mess. Pick that up. And, and we go all over that, don't we? We hate it to the intensity so much that we make sure it never happens in our presence. We're passionate about our pet peeves. Let me ask you a question. Can you imagine how different our experience with God would be if we were passionate, just as passionate, about dealing with the contents of our heart as we are about our pet peeves? Do you know what that would do? You see, the irony for all of us is that we fight over all these peripheral things but we let so much stuff in our life that really is detrimental, well, we just kind of sweep it aside with us, say, well, hey, that's just the way I am. It's just me. I just live with that. 
But the nature of contamination is that if we let it stay in our heart, it will spread its way into everything else our life touches. What would happen if we got really honest with ourselves and forced ourselves to look at the contents of our hearts and say, actually, yeah, I've been carrying envy and anger and bitterness and resentment around in my heart. I've been carrying stuff that is eating away at my spiritual life. Actually, it's killing my soul. Do you know why it's important to have that kind of honesty? I mean, it's tough to do. It's hard to look at our heart and to give our heart a kind of an x-ray. But when we come open and we come clean, do you know what that does? It brings the work of the cross right up into our life. Until there's radical honesty with ourselves and with God, the cross is kind of like just a theory to us. It's something we kind of look at and think about, but when we say, God, I'm broken, and I'm carrying things that are killing me from the inside out, and I can't get rid of them, God, I receive your payment, what you did with Christ on the cross. I receive it as my only hope of being clean. When we do that, it brings the work of the cross right up into our lives. You see, to grow spiritually healthy, we first of all have to give everything to God. Recognise that we owe nothing. We gladly give up everything for him because he's given us everything in Christ so that we could be in relationship with him. And then we hate private corruption. We hate private contamination. We detest those things and we passionately do something about it. We don't just put up with those things and think, well, that's just me. We deal with it. We deal with that private contamination. But there's a third choice. Choice number three for healthy spiritual life is this. Honour God's personal counsel. Give everything to God, hate private contamination, and thirdly, honour God's personal counsel. Now we see this in verse 9 because God is counselling Moses here. Look at this. But if they do not believe those two signs or listen to you, and notice the word but if, so God is qualifying here. He's saying this sign will only work under certain conditions. If they don't believe the first two signs, take some water from the Nile and pour it on the dry ground. The water you take from the river will become blood on the ground. Now, once again, if you're not used to reading the Old Testament, you're like, blood on dry ground? I mean, that sounds like a Stephen King novel. What in the world is all that about? Let me tell you what is going on here in verse 9. God is counselling Moses. He's saying, Moses, this sign will only work when I tell you it will work. You can't do it because you get angry. You can't do it because you want to kind of impress somebody. You can only do it when I give you the go-ahead. So verse 12, he says, Now go, I will help you speak and will teach you what to say. God is saying, Moses, you don't know what you're walking into. You don't know what's coming your way, but I do. So I'm going to teach you. In fact, I'm going to counsel you. I'm going to show you how to navigate your way through life. If I tell you to do something, go with me on this. 
If I tell you not to do something, trust me in this. You know what it means to honour God's personal counsel? It means to stay teachable. To be willing to admit that you don't know it all. To honour God's perfect counsel means you're willing to act on whatever he tells you to do. And every one of us have areas in which we have been stubborn or continue to be stubborn with God over. See, the greatest struggle most people have with the Christian life is not whether Jesus is the Son of God or whether he died on the cross or whether he rose again. The greatest struggle most people have, regardless of their age, is that they are just stubborn. We are creatures of habit. We get set in our ways. In fact, we've got all our reasons for being stubborn. You don't have to be angry to be stubborn. You don't have to be hateful to be stubborn. All you have to be to be stubborn is to know what God wants you to do and then not do it. It's not that difficult, is it? See, for some of us, God has asked you to commit your life to be part of this church. You come for months or years knowing you should, but you say, I just don't know, I'm not sure. Whatever the reason is, and you tell yourself it's a good reason, it's just being stubborn. Because God's on your case about it. Some of us, you're a believer, but you clicked off from God years ago. You just pulled away from him. Maybe you got burned in the church or you had a bad experience. Maybe you got caught up in a cycle of sin and you know what to do, but you keep putting it off or, or denying that there's even a problem. Maybe you feel God let you down in the past. I mean, you prayed and you prayed to him to do something, but, but all you seemed to get was silence from God. Well, this is kind of your way back in. You've known for a long time you could break the silence and talk to God and reconnect with him, but you've got your story and you've got your reasons. Well, whatever that is, you still know that God wants what you know, what God wants you to do, but you won't do it. It's just being stubborn. It's brushing God off going, yeah, yeah, I know I should, but. Maybe you're here today, you've been coming to church for a while, many years in fact. Or maybe just a few months, but you're right on the brink of signing your life over to Christ and you say, I, I want Christ to come into my heart and be the leader of my life and to call the shots in my life, but you think, well, what if I can't do it? And, and what if I, I let God down? And what if I'm not good enough? Or you may not be at this stage yet, but you do sense that what is taught here each week and what the Bible says about Jesus is true but it just seems a bit too much at this stage to take that next step. Maybe the step that God has asked you to make on many occasions is to find out more. It's to get more information, to get your questions actually answered. But, you, but to know what needs to happen and to not do it, well, that's just giving God the cold shoulder. It's just being stubborn. Some of us today, you just need to take an intentional step to grow spiritually. Yeah, you're a Christian, but you're lacking in the spiritual growth department. You come to church, kind of on and off on a Sunday, if there's nothing else perhaps going on, but 
For the rest of the week, you hardly ever, if at all, open your Bible to read it or to pray or to spend some time, quality time with God. Maybe you need to say, I I need to be with people who love God. I need to put myself in an environment of people that are seeking God and are wanting to know him. That's the reasons, one of the reasons why we have small groups, incidentally, is because that's how you can find the counsel of God through fellow Christians. That's how you find out what God wants you to do in your life as you study the Bible and as you encourage each other by connecting in a life group. Some of this morning need to open our life to Christ for the very first time. Others of us need to join this community of faith here at this church and commit our lives fully. Others need to reconnect with God because you've been away and just to say, God, I need a a fresh start with you. But so often we don't. We have our reasons that we think are valid. And God says, nonsense. You're just being stubborn. You know what you need to do. That might be costly. That might involve more commitment. That might involve putting things to one side so you can do what's most important. I don't have to tell you because God tells you what you need to do. Even as I'm speaking, you know. But you don't do it. And God says to you, you're being stubborn. So the question for all of us For the sake of our spiritual health and the successful life of your soul, what decision do you need to make? I mean, it's okay to fight God as long as you know that you ain't going to win. I mean, take your best shot, have a go, throw up your best excuses, but in the end, the only way to win a struggle with God is to do what he's been asking you to do all along. At the end of the day, our spiritual health is based on how obedient you are to God's call and leading in your life. So, as I close, what area of your spiritual life do you need to look at? Have you given everything to God? Have you surrendered the whole of your life and resources and money and everything to him? Because he's given you everything, don't forget. He gave you Christ. He gave you the best. For God so loved the world that he gave. Is there something in your heart that you need to deal with? Is there some private contamination that if you don't deal with it, it will spread like leprosy, spiritual leprosy, and affect the whole of you, affect other elements of your life that you don't even realise it could affect, but it will. And are you honouring God's counsel? Are you teachable? Are you willing to listen to what God is telling you and be obedient to that? Or are you just stubborn? May our attitude be the same as David, who wrote in Psalm 24, Show me your ways, O Lord. Teach me your paths. Guide me in your truth and teach me, for you are God my Saviour, and my hope is in you all day long. Let's pray. Lord our God, we thank you for the truth of your word. 
And Father, we thank you for these principles we've looked at this morning. And I pray you sink these choices deep into our heads, deep into our hearts. And in fact, if you've never given your life to Christ this morning, would you just say, Jesus, here I am. Take me. Take me as your own. Now and forevermore, I am yours. And Lord God, I pray that you give us the courage to make these decisions on a daily basis. And that we would be people who would have healthy spiritual lives. That we would make these choices. That every day, even though they may be a challenge to us, every day we would make these choices for the benefit of our spiritual health. In your strong and mighty name we pray. Amen.